So what are, what are we talking about then in this episode? Oh uh, yeah. So uh, this episode, we're going back to our roots from a couple episodes ago of open telemetry. So we're going to talk about roots. That's our roots from a couple episodes ago, right? Like we could change roots, right? So yeah, we're going to talk about metrics this time instead of traces and spans and all that. That was, wait, that was the intro. Yeah, that's the intro. Uh, I didn't get to say my name. Yeah. I'm Alan Underwood. That's not what it says here. Are you? I'm embracing change guys. I don't don't know if you you notice this. How about, how about you start us off Jay-Z? All right, just reading the notes here. It says, hi, I'm Ray Romano. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> and I'm Bill Clinton. <laughs> and I'm neither. <laughs> that's, that's how you could remember. <laughs> the problem is the only phrases that come to mind from Bill Clinton are probably completely inappropriate right. for this podcast. <laughs> so I can't I even say not. what I, Yeah, <laughs> I did not. <laughs> Maybe uh, one time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And if you don't know, don't look it up. Yeah. <laughs> there was one about him not inhaling too. That was kind of funny. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Did you smoke pot? I did not inhale. Okay, good job, dude. Oh man! <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, so. So, yeah, I don't know if we're actually cutting that beginning part or not. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about metrics and open telemetry. Why would you think today. I would cut that? What well, That was perfect. Oh, it might have been amazing. I don't know. Like well, I said, I'm embracing change. I am Alan slash Bill. So, let's do this thing. Hey, first up, we got it. We got some reviews that Outlaw is going to read to us. Oh, oh man, yeah. these are too easy. Oh, yeah. So, uh, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> from iTunes, we have Bill B101. And from Spotify, yeah, now we're doing Spotify reviews, uh, Donnie and Clayton. So thank you both for taking the time to uh, leave your reviews. Really appreciate that. How long did it take you to locate the Spotify God, review? Man. <laughs> I, you know, maybe like now that I've, now that I've, I've navigated through it, I'll be a little bit quicker next time. But like not you, not a, as a, as someone who doesn't use Spotify. And I'm I'm the one. I'm the one. You, you met me. I'm I'm the one person. I'm the unicorn that doesn't use Spotify. Yeah, it, it took me a minute to navigate through it, only to realize like, oh, I'm not even in the right thing. There's a whole other thing of like, uh, you know, Spotify for podcasters, and that's where I had to go and find it. And then then I found it. So, yeah, yeah, good times. All right. So I guess with that, do we have any news? Are you speaking anywhere, Jay Z? Anything nope. going on? No. No. Were you supposed to speak somewhere tonight? Oh, oh I'll be right back. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Uh, hey, I'm actually thinking about dusting off the speaking things and, and maybe doing something again. I don't know. I kind of got the itch again recently. Well, if you are, I believe the call for speakers for Orlando Code Camp in, uh, I think it's going to be February this year, has opened up. Uh, that would have been nice news to share, huh? Hmm. There you go. See, there's news. So, Code Camp 24 will have a link. All right, excellent. I may actually do that, but that means that I could get stuff done here in the next month. That might be tough. So it won't we'll happen. So let's talk about metrics. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> metrics. Things things that we could things actually that measure. will happen tonight. <laughs> Man, unreal. All right, so 
first, all right. So we've, we've sort of talked about, or I wouldn't even say sort of, we talked about metrics a lot when we were doing like the DevOps handbook and all that kind of stuff, right? The Google uh, SRE. Yeah. Google SRE was a huge one. So I think these are worth talking about again, just for anybody that's missed it. But then also we are talking about this in terms of how it's being done in open telemetry. So going back a couple of episodes, open telemetry was something that Jay-Z brought up that is actually a really good topic because it's sort of like your all in one way of being able to see what's going on in your application. And open telemetry is sort of the culmination of, of groups and companies coming together to try and give you one package that will sort of do it all for you. Right. In, in a free and open source type way. So that said, we've talked about like spans and logging and, and contextual type stuff. And so now we want to talk about the other part, which is measurements. And that's what a metric is, right? It's nothing more than a measurement of a service that's, that's happening at runtime. And then a metric event is basically that metric with a timestamp. I mean, it's, it's that simple, right? So if I don't know, you, you had uh 12 millisecond latency at 1201 AM, that's, that's your metric event. And what they call out on this is, and, and it's the same thing we've talked about in the past. These are your indicators of your availability and performance is your service running how well is it running, right? Like if you're getting zero throughput and you're used to seeing, you know, a thousand requests a second, then you probably know there's an issue. And then these also not just showing you your system, they could also tell you sort of how it's impacting your end users, right? And, and your business systems at large. So I think the more important thing than just having these is what you do with them, right? And this is something that the three of us have focused quite a bit of time on, both on the podcast as well as in our professional life is what do you do with these metrics, right? You're going to create alerts off of them, and then you're probably also going to have some sort of system triggering events, whether it's uh, you need to restart or you need to scale out or whatever, right? Like there could be all kinds of things that actually happen when you see some sort of metric go above or below some threshold. Yeah. We talked about uh, service level objectives from the, the Google book. They're talking about how they aim to have like, you know, the however many nines of a uh, service availability. And if they get below that, that's when it becomes emergency because if you're doing enough requests, then uh, some of them are going to fail some number of them. So uh, yeah, it just, uh, just kind of harkening back to that, I guess. And, you know, talking about, about the, you know, how many requests and all that kind of stuff, something that we talked about when we were going through the SRE handbook and all that was don't report on every single thing. And, and it's funny, you read that, you go through it, but you kind of learn it the hard way too, right? <laughs> when you go in and you set up your first alerts, you're setting them up and you have this threshold. Then all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, this thing should not alert on every single 500. It should not alert on every time this happens. And it, it's amazing how quickly you realize that doing that kind of thing will really shoot yourself in the foot because then you're just chasing things all the time. Yeah. That was also, there was also like a cost factor that they had equated into like, what does it cost to get to that next nine of uh, reliability. So it wasn't just a blanket, you know, we want 18 nines of reliability, like that, you know, 
it's Google, right? So they, they took an, an engineering, you know, kind of approach to it and we're like, okay, well, what does it mean to get there to that yeah, next nine? Hyper expensive, right? For every additional nine you add on. Yeah. All right. So, so I, there was also another th- call out too, though, that I was going to mention you, uh, when you were going through the metric things and you're like, well, is your site even up and running? And, and there was that story I've shared before, I believe, I think I shared it where it was like, you know, long ago, uh, you know, we had a, a script that was like, Hey, is the web server up and running? Like, and it was like, okay, you know, port 80 is responding. So the web server is running, but in actuality, like, yeah, okay. Port 80 was responding to traffic, but the site itself was down. <laughs> like I'll never forget <laughs> that. Like really? Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, like that, that's why, that's why even with metrics, you have to be careful of like, well, what is it that you're measuring? And like, and, and is it actually what you wanted to know? And maybe the one thing by itself doesn't tell the complete story. Yep. Right. And so that's where like, uh, all of these metrics and panels and alerts that you were talking about, like, you know, sometimes it can be beneficial to correlate the, these things together to paint a better picture of like what's happening for sure. But you could also, and we've seen this too, you could also go too far in the other direction, right? Like you'd have 80 metrics on a page and you're like, what does it mean? <laughs> I don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would bet that, Anyone listening that has used Grafana has probably been in an environment where they went too far to one extreme and like have like a dashboard that just had way too many panels. And like, okay, I'm just going to spin up another dashboard (laughs) with these are the, these are the five panels I care about. And then that then becomes like the thing that takes over and everybody's looking at it. And then eventually it gets blown out. Like, you know, there's this constant like evolution, you know, Like the desktop folder, you know, like put all the stuff that's on the desktop in the folder, and everything. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it is the evolution is the perfect description of what happens with that stuff. So let's talk about metrics and how they work in Open Telemetry. So th- this is some implementation information here. So first, they have this meter provider, and and the way they describe it, it's basically a singleton, and, and it has the lifespan of whatever the application lifecycle is. So what this thing does is it actually creates meters. So it makes sense, right? Meter provider makes meters. They say that this is the first step in actually metering in open telemetry is having this meter provider set up. And, and in some languages, I'm not sure which ones they just call it out in their page. Some of the languages, the application sets it up for you. So I guess if you include the open telemetry libraries or whatever, it's going to go ahead and wire it in and you don't even have to think about it. Right. At some point you'll just go use it and life will be dandy. I don't know which language, but you know, Hey, all right. And then a meter, this thing that's created by the meter provider, this creates different types of metric instruments, quote unquote, these are the things that actually capture the measurements of the service. And and we'll talk about these metric instruments here in just a second. But first we're going to talk about some of the other things. And this goes back to similar things that they talked about with their uh, tracing elements. So one is there's this metric exporter. And if you think about it, anytime that you generate a metric in your application, there needs to be a way to ship that data out to some sort of consumer. And that's what this metric exporter is. 
And then a consumer can be all kinds of things, right? They called out, it could be standard output, right? So just your logging that's coming across your screen as things happen, or it could be an open telemetry collector or tons of open source things. So just like they had, I think on the, uh, on the span or not the span, the, the tracing stuff, they had exporters for that. They have a list of, of collectors or exporters that they have available in this registry. And it's worth clicking that link and taking a look at it. There are tons of these things, like tons of them, just about anything you can think of. They've got in here that you can export these metrics to. So just to make sure I got it right, we had some terms there. So uh, metrics, I got it. Um, the meter provider is responsible for creating and configuring the meters. The meter, uh, I, I don't quite understand what that is, but it's basically responsible for creating instruments. And instruments are what actually reports the measurements. Well, the meter is the instrument. And that's why I said <laughs> we'll get to it in a second. But just, just so that it'll clarify things right now. A meter is like a counter or a gauge or or any of those type of things that we've used in any kind of metrics gathering before. That's what they call them. Well, to like make another analogy here, though, right? Like the the exporter here, for example, because um, I'm go- I'm going back to like you know Prometheus and Grafana kind of world, right? I guess I said that earlier, and now I can't get it out of my head. But um, you know. Prometheus could scrape a a set of HTTP endpoints, right, to collect metrics, or your application can send them to Prometheus. And in this case, with the exporter, we're talking a case, an instance where you might have some kind of custom metric in your application that you would send to Prometheus. And that's what, in, in this case, the exporter is kind of uh, similar to that. Correct. You could, you could do that to where you shipped it. Or like you mentioned, you could actually, your exporter might be an endpoint in your application, right? Like uh, I think we've done some Java apps to where if you use the Prometheus client or whatever, it'll expose those metrics on a certain port so that me, so that Prometheus could scrape it. So that could be your export. Well, I want to be clear though. Well. This is only the one direction. This isn't both like what, what I was describing that could be done with Prometheus, right? Where Prometheus could scrape. Cause here it's just you sending the metric. So it's, it's the case of your cut, your app sending it directly to Prometheus, not Prometheus scraping it from an endpoint, right? Well, well, if your endpoint is what you're exporting it to, I guess is what I was saying. So, so you could like, like it says, you could export it to standard out. You could export it to, um, you could push it to Prometheus, like you're saying, or you could have it exposed or pushed to an endpoint in your own service. Right. So I guess that's what I'm saying. Like there's all kinds of places where you could make that stuff land. And if you want a Prometheus to scrape it, it would be scraping it from your export to your endpoint. I guess yeah, is what I, mean, I was trying I, to I, say. I, I just don't, maybe we're getting hung up on the Prometheus analogy that I was trying to make. And so uh, it's, it's fine. But I, I guess the, the, the thing here is there are so many different things. Like here, here's an example. I mean, I'm just going to read off a handful of these. They have the open telemetry collector, that's awesome. Alibaba Cloud, AWS S3 exporter. They have Google PubSub exporter. They have InfluxDB. Um, I mean, th- they've got so many Parquet file exporters. So 
there's tons of things that you could set up in, in, in your app to basically just shove these things out so that any type of consumer you want to set up will have access to that data. Oh, wow. And like they actually have these things labeled as either collectors or exporters. Mm-hmm. So pretty okay. amazing. And like, oh, like every language that you would want service, uh, all kinds. Well, of I take it back. I'm really disappointed. I don't see visual basic in here, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I know. But, uh, you know, go rust, you know, modern new languages, Kotlin, Scala, well, Scala, I don't think counts as new, right. Uh, or does that count as modern? Uh, I think so. Probably modern ish. I don't know. It's been out too long now. Yeah, it's dead to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I and mean, there's, it, it it's well over a hundred gotta be <laughs> oh it's ridiculous how many they have i mean it's it's pretty impressive what they've got and i'm assuming if you want to make your own they probably have the the interface set up so that you know you can do it and then throw it in this registry and then somebody can go grab it well those links and on that page are to github uh <laughs> so you could easily see how these things are made yeah if you I were mean, to you go, go make your, your own. own yeah it's it's pretty awesome I mean, they have an Elasticsearch exporter. That's it's beautiful. Oh wow, the source for this—I don't know if we talked about this before. It's all in Go. Is it? I don't know that. Uh, I mean, I'm at least looking. Like, I randomly picked like the TPC receiver. Uh, I'm sorry, I meant to say TCP. I don't know what I said. TPC. Oh yeah, a lot of these are in Go. Um, But yeah, the TCP receiver. uh, I just randomly click on it, and it was in Go. And then, uh, oh okay, no, I see that's still the same stuff, but. Yeah, no, it's all it's all go. The Prometheus ones go. Yeah, it looks like a lot of these are in go. Yeah, if it wasn't Rust, I think everyone might be just using Go. There was, like it was a minute there when like everything coming out was in Go, like Kubernetes and Docker and like everything. <laughs> and Rust came out and people started being like, Well, I don't know. Now it's kinda split. Whoa, check this out. The very top link, I don't know if you guys saw this, the open telemetry collector builder. A CLI, a CLI tool that generates open telemetry collector binaries based on a manifest. So it looks like they've got something that'll help you even get rolling on this thing. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm hearing builders, I'm hearing providers. You sure this is in Java? (laughs) Or C Sharp nowadays, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so now back to the the question that you asked a second ago, Jay-Z, was like the metric or the meter and the metric instruments. So these are the things that actually capture the measurements. Um and they have a kind, a name, a unit, and a description. Now, the name and the kind are required. Unit and description you can provide as you want or don't have to. Um, the name, unit, and description are chosen by the developer. Or, like they did in the tracing, they have a whole list of semantic conventions that you can follow, right? So that if you're doing things like CPUs or requests or things like that, you probably want to follow a standard so that, you know, everybody's sort of familiar with what you have. If it's not one of those, then you can name it however you want, but here's the gist of it. So the, these instruments are either a counter and this one's simple, a counter in any type of metric package that I'm aware of. A counter is always a number that increases. It'll never go back down. Right. So they, equated it to an odometer and a car. If it, if it were to actually work forever, it's always going to keep going up. What year car? <laughs> right. The because kind you that, could eventually the kind roll over. Digits, right? right. Yeah. 
Exactly. You hear I'm um, saying you've been, you know, you have an overflow and you end up back at zero. At zero. That's right. But that means you hit a million miles. And at that point you deserve to have zero again. So the next one, and this was interesting. There's two asynchronous ones that they mentioned. There's the asynchronous counter. They say that this is the same thing as a counter, but there's one big difference between it and the counter is that there's a count per export. And I think what they're saying is every time you do an export, it sort of resets. And that's interesting. I'm guessing the reason they do it is because maybe you have something that that can't accumulate based off the code or however it's set up that it's not going to do it. And so you have to rely on the consumer to aggregate that data is more or less what it sounded like in, in their docs. Now I haven't used it, so I can only tell you what I read there. Um, I hope to use it at some point, but that's what it sounded like. They have an up down counter, which is what it sounds like. So it's basically a counter that can also go down So instead of only always incrementing, it can also go back down. They said that a good use of this is if you were like looking at the number of items in a queue. So, you know, it's a hundred now, now it's 75, you know, you process whatever. Now I I was thinking like the most obvious one to me would be like, you know, current connections. Okay. I like that one. Cause that one would go, that one could fluctuate over time. Right. Well, so here's my question. So I'm going to jump ahead. Well, actually, first, we'll do the asynchronous up-down counter. This one, again, they say that it's it's collected once per export. So, again, I guess the, the number resets, and then you're relying on the consumer to aggregate the data. But so now that we got those out of the way, why? how is an up-down counter different? Oh, I know how it is. I know how it is. Okay, so the gauge. I was going to say a gauge. So a gauge is a value at any time, right? And they, they mentioned like a fuel gauge in your car. I actually like the idea of a speedometer better because it moves up and down frequently, right? As you accelerate, decelerate, Not whatever. Mine. mine just stays on one far end. <laughs> the max. <laughs> it doesn't even have a number. But I think I think the difference is this. A gauge is, is a point in time. So hmm. So if you're going 10 miles an hour now and then a second later you're going 15 – there's no incrementing and decrementing. I think that's the difference between the up down counter is I'm guessing the up down counter is you're increasing, like added one to the queue, took two off the queue, added three to the queue. I think that's the asynchronous counter and asynchronous up down counters that you're describing where, because they make the point of like the continuous changes. So the counter and up down counter if those we were, are what, yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. going to see like every incremental change. Yes. One, two, three, yes. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You're literally getting all that streaming in versus with the asynchronous counterparts to those. You might go from, in your example, 10 to 15, 17, 23, 19. Yeah, the asynchronous doesn't make sense to me even there. Cause, I, cause you're only going to get, you're, you're going to get like the way I'm, the, the way they, they wrote it here. The way I'm interpreting it is you're not getting the full stream of all of the changes. So you're just going to say like, what is it now? And you're and whatever the count is at that point, you're going to get the updated value for it. Yeah. I, I need to see it in action. I, w- I wish that I'd actually had the time to do that before we did this so that again, I could see it. Because these are again, sending 
you know, because I, I mean, this is uh, my interpretation well, be wrong, per export, but right? again, because the exporter is sending the data to a consumer, what, how often do you want me to send it? Do you want me to send you each inter- incremental change? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or one, six, 11, nine, well, well, I think and, that's the difference between the you know, gauge and the counter, though, and that's what I'm getting at, is the gauge is like, hey, if it's 15, now send 15. If it's 100, send 100. Whereas well, because the gauge think, was the next one we hadn't gotten to yet. Right. I so think gauge the down counter is actually increasing and decreasing. I think it's I think it's a an additive or subtractive type thing, and that's the difference between that and a gauge. So did you say this already? A gauge measures a current value at the time it is read. An example would be the fuel gauge in a vehicle. I gauges did. are asynchronous. So that's where you got the fuel gauge. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that you were hit, were talking about the next um instrument kind when when you did that. So I apologize. I didn't. Yeah, that's that's why I was like initially I was confused, but I think the difference is is the up down counters are additive and subtractive and the gauge is just hey, whatever the value is send the value. That's it. But now um, I'm confused as to like what the asynchronous counterparts are i know that's what i'm saying i wish i could see it in action because i think the asynchronous from from the way that they make it sound in the docs is it's once per export so when you call export it sounds like it resets the value and then and then you go from there that's what it sounds like but i haven't seen it in action so i don't know but it i'm okay so looking at that well we're i'm not trying to like harp on this one thing (laughs) But this is this is the episode, so bear with me. Right. Uh, so, it, but it says asynchronous up down counter could be used if you don't have access to the continuous changes, but only to the aggregated value. Example: current queue size. Yeah, did they say we talked about this with databases a little bit. Remember where it's like we said you could do like interesting kind of locks with like increment or decrement, where you're basically just saying plus plus or minus minus but you don't actually know what the value is. You're just saying like, I got a new one or I got rid of one. Uh, and so like locking and stuff is easier. But if it's uh, something else where you're setting like the number 15, then you have to worry about like, you know, if you're counting or something in particular and like there's race conditions and things getting mixed up, they read the value, try to add one and then put it back. If another one modified, it gets crazy. So if but you, you have do a know the value because you're exporting that number out as the metric. That's what I'm saying. I, I would, I, I'd have to see this thing in action because based off what they wrote, I don't understand exactly. It, it makes it sound like they're not making our it, implementation any easier. Yeah. Right. Where's that God would need him. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're going to need, we're going to need to test this thing out. Now the last one, and this one is probably the most interesting because I've played with this stuff is a histogram. So, this is a client side aggregation of values that is useful for things. And they give an example of like request latencies. And I can actually give a, a real life example of where I've used a histogram. And basically what you're doing in a histogram is you're sort of creating buckets and then you're trying to count the number of things that happen in those buckets. So for example, in, in a real life scenario, we had, files of different sizes, right? So I wanted to see, Hey, how long does it take to process a file that is between zero and one K between one K and five K between five K and, you know, a meg or whatever. Right. So you create these buckets and then you also measure the latencies. And so it allows you to 
put counters basically in each one of those cells. So that's what a histogram allows you to do is sort of chart these, these values as you see them. And yeah, that's similar to like the Wikipedia definition for it. What refers to it as the number of observations that fall within each bin. It's a visual representation of the distribution of the data showing the number of observations that fall within each bin. So I thought it was interesting, their choice of bin and and your choice of bucket. You know, it'll mess your mind up when you first go to create one. If you've, if you've never done a histogram and you start trying to lay this stuff out, I don't know what open telemetry's implementation of this is, but like, for instance, I want to say the, the Prometheus one specifically, you have to define the buckets up front. You can't be like, Hey, just figure it out for me. <laughs> like but I create mean, some smart buckets. You, you could, you could really easily think about that. Like, uh, you know, if you had to make data, if you, if you wanted to every, every one of your coworkers on your team, everyone who, who works on your office floor, right. Uh, if you wanted to say everyone whose first name, if you want to take account of everybody's first name starts with an a, a B, a C, whatever, right. You're going to have this like bar chart where like, you know, one of those letters is going to be taller than the other, probably something in like an M kind of in the middle of the alphabet or something or S or T or something like that. Right. Are, are going to be taller than the other words. Right. Those, those different, each one of those little bars is going to be the history collectively are the histogram. That's the distribution right. of the data as it, as it relates to uh, what's the distribution of, you know, first uh, of, of my coworkers first names across the alphabet. And your predefined buckets are your letters, right? And and that's that's kind of the thing with histograms is you sort of have to know what your data s- sort of looks like so you can create these buckets to make a meaningful histogram. Or you just guess and start somewhere and then iterate. <laughs> oh, and then there's that. Right? Yeah, especially when <laughs> it comes well, because I say that because especially when it comes to like time type related things, because you don't I, know. I, they gave the example of like how many requests take fewer than one second, you know, mm-hmm. and and. I think it was the SRE book too. They talked about doing stuff like that in terms of like what you would alert on and what you wouldn't, you know, you like, you would, you would set some, like you would time box some requests type of thing. And, and that's where your alerts be. So you might not know, like they were also using like percentiles if I recall too, like, yeah. you know um, I think it was like, as long as the most requests are happening, then it's fine. It's probably okay. Type of situation. So you know, you, your mind is going to make vary, but the point is, is in the beginning, you might not know what that time frame should be. And you could get too aggressive, especially if you were going to like make an alert on it. Yep. Oh, so we finished all of the, the metric stuff. No, just the first part of it. Oh, okay. So, more. so then I guess then, you're wanting me to tell everybody how they can be cool like Bill and Donnie then. And <laughs> or at least in our good favor. How's that? Uh, you know, they're, they're our best friends for life. Uh, you can head to codingblocks.net slash review and you can find some heading blah, blah, blah links there. And uh, we would greatly appreciate it. And I'll say words that make sense later. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you, you, we could take a, a small break then for Mental Blocks, our newly uh, patent-pended uh, game show that is going to sound a lot like Jeopardy, but it's really not. Uh, for trademark reasons, it's totally different. 
That's that's one hundred percent different. Right. right. Uh, this is Mental Blocks, whose intro sounds nothing like Jeopardy. That's right. All right. So two twenty one, Alan, you are first according to Techco's uh, trademark rules of engagement. Um, I'm on a win streak. I'm on a win streak. Just so uh, we know, it's one right. Win streak no, no, I've won like two or three, off. two or three in a row now. Yeah, <laughs> it's more than one. It's more than one. It's plural. <laughs> <laughs> we have such low standards here. Like the bar <laughs> is like literally like just on the floor, and if if it got over, <laughs> they were like, "Yep, that's good enough." That's right. All right. Well. Uh, mental blocks. So your choices are a Tory party, the 50 States, other famous volunteers, letter perfect, plenty of fish, or I love my dad. The 50 States. All right. One, two, three, four or five. Two. That other show uses money. We don't. Okay. That's, right. That's the defining distinction. <laughs> uh, two. Created to serve the former Northwest Territory, Northwestern University is in Evanston in this state. Massachusetts. No, it's Northwest. No, it's got to be. Uh, you already answered. What was it? Yeah, Massachusetts. Oh. <clears throat> All right, I gotta guess. Is it Illinois? Uh, it is Illinois. Okay. How did you get that as a guess? That that sounds off. That's not a guess. I wasn't sure. There was a like. There's this book I read once, and like the person was talking about how cold it was in Illinois and Northwestern. And I I couldn't remember if it was Northwestern or not. That's ridiculous. I guess it was. Okay. Okay. You're not allowed to read. I really, I, right. I do, I, I, I was excited to see the first question for the other famous volunteers. I did kind of hope that you were going to pick that one though, because it's the, the answer is a superhero on film playing Marvel's Black Widow. This actress spent eight years as a global ambassador for Oxfam. And I just thought like, it's Marvel. So like, obviously like, why would we would all know that one? Did you know it, Jay-Z? Steam? No. Uh-uh. Isn't it Scarlet or something? Scarlet Johansson? Yeah. Was she Scarlet? Was it her? Okay. Yeah. Okay. She played Black Scar- Widow. <laughs> Do we <laughs> I I'm so you bad ever, like, feel like like you're you're with other people, but yet you're still alone? <laughs> you ever is it just me? Okay. It's kind of how I feel right now. All right. So uh, Jay Z's taking taking the win back. So Whoop. here we go. Next round, power back. Your choices are the movies, nope. triangles, maybe colleges and universities. Nope. Everyday Italian. No. The twentieth century. Oh, what you mean? Ooh. Or gloomy authors. Oh, oh, uh. Let's, let's go triangles. <laughs> how much is how much is you can only there's, there can't be more than three questions, right? Right. Yeah. There's equal five. <laughs> yeah. Isosceles. Oh, man. I what did this. you see? Acute. 
No, I'm just kidding. Seriously, uh, one, two, three, four, or five? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Let's go four. 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 You're about yeah. to find out there's 12 types of triangles, <laughs> sir. <laughs> and we're sure we're, we're four is like we're we're sick. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to win good. Real good. <laughs> yep. On this holiday, generally in March, Jews traditionally eat triangular pastries called I am going to mess this up. Um, that's not what it's called. Uh, I, for all of our Jewish listeners, I do apologize. Hamantashen. I'm, I'm not even close to that. Hamantashen. How do you spell that? Let me, maybe I can like, no, you know, Google to tell me like how to pronounce this thing. Like, what's the question? Is there's a holiday in March when they eat some triangle food? Hamantashen. I was close. Hamantashen. Okay. At least according to what it says, the pronunciation key for that is. You're asking what this holiday is? On this holiday, generally in March, Jews traditionally eat triangular pastries called hamatashin. Man, if you asked me what the pastries were called, I could have told you. You didn't know Uh, that. Get out of here. Apple turnover. Yeah. Jeez, when's the new year? What's the new year? What's it called? I'm going to call it... uh, Jewish, what's Jewish New Year? <laughs> Alan for the steal. Um, I got, I oh, man, I was so I, off. I got nothing, man. <laughs> nothing. Okay. Param. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't going to be anywhere close to that. All right. And I had Rock to look that one up. I, I looked that one up, too, to make sure I was. I, and even then, I don't even know. I could have still messed it up. So I apologize. Um, all right. Triangles are hard. This is this is your chance to tie the board, Alan. Here we go. Let's oh, by this. the way, how did you not pick the movies? I don't you know. know Jay-Z movies. doesn't like movies. Any yeah, of movies them. suck. His powerful performance as the Joker in The Dark Knight won him a posthumous supporting actor Oscar. Oh, I know that one. Come on. I don't know that one. I actually don't know that one. That was the number three question. I only know that because I'm on Reddit. (laughs) Reddit loves Heath Ledger. (laughs) Wait, it was Tom Cruise. Okay. So, Alan, your choices are. Here we go. We've got chemistry, explosive music, Misinformation where the miss is in quotes. Each response will start with MIS. They came to America, peninsulas, or O Canada. Misinformation for one. I was so glad you didn't pick the Canada one because I'm like, oh, we're going to like really upset our friends to the north. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Joe, you're going to hate yourself. No. At Christmas, couples may steal a kiss beneath a sprig of this. Mistletoe. That is the correct answer. Hey, look at me coming back. I tied it up. We got to have a tiebreaker here. Yeah, here we go. Final round. Category is corporate mascots. Born on an island in a sea of milk, this pitch man was jokingly disavowed by the U.S. Navy by saying he is not in personal records. 
person. Sorry, I meant to say personnel records. Wait, if it's the beep, I forget. But you beeped. You're fine. He said bye bye. Okay. I tried. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> Nothing. Is that your final answer? Yeah, yeah, I got nothing. You want to call a friend? Because this game, we can do that. (laughs) I'd like to call my friend Outlaw. (laughs) Uh, Captain Crunch. Oh, come on. Oh, so ridiculous. I should have known. What do we do here? We got, like, do I just randomly pick another one? Just one more. Just pick one more. Let's see what we got. Popeye's on the spinach. Spinach sea. Uh, I'm trying to think of like, what would be a good one? Let me. Let me think here. I'm taking too long. Oh gosh. It's getting worse. There's going to be a Metallica <laughs> question in that explosive music, um, explosive music category. Yeah. You should just pick like the second one out of explosive oh, music and let's see what happens. Oh, is there don't, a Metallica don't even question read in there? Gotta be. All right. Um, oh, that's not fair. You guys know all the Metallica songs. I know like three of them. We're going to. Okay. So your name is your buzzer. So just say your name. And whoever says their name first gets to answer first. You ready? Here we go. The answer is. I'd catch a grenade for you. He's saying in a number one song. Alan. Bruno Mars. That is the correct answer. Alan for the win, continuing his streak. Look at that. Wow. Get some. You earned it. You earned it. I did. Yeah, because apparently you're way too excited to know anything about it. I know a song. (laughs) Yeah, that triangle one, though. Come on. The triangle one was. That was not about triangles. No, I mean, they ate triangles. (laughs) This is mental blocks. Do you expect the questions to be like. Right, these are. I, yeah, I, was, I was like, I know it's going to be Sapinski. I'm like, I know it. Suspe- I don't even know who that is. It's a triangle made out of the triangles. Pythagorean, man. Yeah. That's what it was going to be. That's what it should have been. All right, all right. So back into not. this. I can't. I mean, so, you were you expecting like a hypotenuse kind of question? Answer, yeah, question answer totally. Yeah, so Katoa. Sure. <laughs> I know triangles. Apparently, all right. So getting back into this thing with the metrics, oh, man. So, uh I'm not recording. Really? No, I just wanted to throw you off. Okay, go on. <laughs> I, man. I, know, that's a joke. I, <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, I'm going <laughs> to back. Sink so low. Hey, uh, it was fun. <laughs> we'll see you in two more weeks. Uh, golly, man. Wow. I think, I think it's so sweaty. Aged a year. <laughs> Say hair fell out, but it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Got any left? Oh man. Okay. All right. So aggregations. This is pretty simple, right? Like uh, we kind of know what aggregations are, but it's a large number of measurements that are combined into. This is the interesting part: either exact or estimated statistics. We've talked about this in the past, like even Elasticsearch, right? Like when when it returns counts and stuff, they're not necessarily accurate. Which is sort of interesting. I mean, it depends on how you have it set up and all that. So same thing can happen with aggregations. Now, they did mention this OTLP, 
which they just kind of threw out in the documentation like you know what the heck it was. They have their own open telemetry protocol, and that's what OTLP stands for, and it does transport aggregated metrics. Uh, let's see. Oh, also, the open telemetry API provides default aggregations for each instrument type. So we talked about the gauges, the counters, all that kind of stuff. They have default aggregations set up for those, but you can actually change those if you want. You can override them using views, which we'll talk about in a second. You think we're going to run out of like, uh, maybe we already have like the the whole, there's so many acronyms in software development, right? That, you know, maybe back in the seventies, I don't know, maybe it was like two, three letters, but you know, this one's now four, you know, pretty soon it's going to be like all six letter acronyms. Like, because I, when you saw, when I saw OTLP and even as I try to say it out loud, I instead yeah. want to say OLAP. Right. Yeah. And that so was immediately cool. how I read it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's nothing new. OLAP. Did they like repurpose OLAP there's, for something else? There's the OLTP for like the transactional <laughs> protocol, whatever. I what's the yeah. OLTP yeah. online transaction protocol or whatever. But yeah, it, it's, that's the thing. Like I was reading it. And I was like, what are they talking about? I had to go Google it, which brought me back to their site, to their open telemetry protocol. Yeah. I, I agree, man. The, Acronyms are out of control. All right. So when we were talking about request tracing or, or tracing in general, the whole purpose of that was to sort of wrap this context around a request, right? So you could see what happened in the context of the entire request. Metrics are different because on the other side of things, they're there to provide you some aggregate statistical information, right? Like how many requests did happen in a second or, or how much memory or how much CPU or whatever. Right. So it's, it's a different purpose, even though combined with the other stuff can be really powerful. Um, they had a bunch of examples here. I'll roll through a few of them real quick. Uh, like an example of metrics, all of these are uh, total number of bytes read by a service per protocol, right? So HTTP, HTTPS, FTP, uh, whatever other ones you can think of, uh, SSH, uh, total number of bytes read and bytes per request duration of a system call request sizes for just for trending purposes, right? Like, Hey, these requests were one byte now, but then they jumped up to 10. Why? Um, CPU or memory usage during a particular process, average balance values of an account. I don't know if they were talking about banking, but whatever, it could be something. And current number of active requests. So those are all really good examples of things that you might want to track metrics on. So now views, these views, these allow the the developer to customize the output that's provided by the SDK. So one thing that's interesting, and I, this kind of goes back to the SRE thing that Outlaw hit on earlier, was there might be some that you just don't even want to do anything with, right? Like you want to minimize, you know, you don't care about the number of system requests to this particular thing or whatever. You can you can either choose to ignore it or process it. And then on the last part of customization, you can also change what type of aggregation is happening with any, any particular instrument. And you can also choose what attributes you want to make available on it. And when they say attributes, I have to guess they're talking about things that are similar to labels in other metrics type packages we've done, right? Like, you know, you have number of requests per second, but maybe you want to trace it by each tenant or each customer, right? 
And so maybe you have that particular attribute on with the metric so that you can sort of slice that data that way. And then this is sort of like getting into the last little nitty gritty parts of open telemetry. So they have their language support, which I thought was interesting. So they have a bunch of stable languages uh, or languages that they have a stable library or implementation in C++, C sharp, go Java, JavaScript, PHP, and Python. Uh, experimental. I thought this one was interesting. They have Erlang Elixir and Swift or Erlang slash Elixir and Swift and alpha is rust. So it's still got the popularity and then maybe never is Ruby. (laughs) It said not not yet implemented. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Why would you even have it listed if you haven't done it? Yeah. Wouldn't it be applied implied that if it's not on there, that it's like, but I, I would guess though, that the, the fact that they put it on there, I would say that they have intentions to do it and they just haven't yet gotten to it. it. Or yeah, they get like, questions about it a lot. It's uh, like, yeah, it's definitely weird. It's just, it definitely feels like a dig or something. <laughs> I mean, there's a few people out there that want it, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> when, when we get to it, um, yeah, I don't know. And then, so here's one thing that I thought was really cool, and I didn't go deep into these sections here, but they had this section for automatic instrumentation. So basically what this means is, with a little tiny bit of configuration in .NET, Java, JavaScript, PHP, and Python, you can basically have this thing auto measure various things in your application. Oh, so this would be like if you had a, a like a .NET app, an ASP.NET app or something like that, and it's like, oh, I already know how, met, how to get certain metrics out of ASP.net or, yes. you know, whatever that blazer or whatever you're using, you know, to like, uh, as you're serving up requests, I know how to talk to IIS and get that kind of information and say like, okay, this is the number of, you know, size, this is the size that you're sending. Here's by protocol. Here it is. The number of open requests and connections. Okay. That's yeah, the, that's so, the type of thing. Now, again, this right. goes back to, I haven't implemented this, so I don't know what kind of stuff it's going to spit out of it. But yes, that's my assumption too. Just what you said is, Hey, I know, I know what MVC does. I can look at these controllers and I can, um, you know, inspect the stuff coming out of it and I can create useful metrics. So the cool part is they say if with just like super minimum levels of configuration, like they say the, the most or the one required piece is like the service name for, for the configuration. But then past that, you can also do data source, specific config, exporter config, propagator resource. So there's additional things you can do to give it even more information so that it can do more for you. But that's pretty cool. If it's sort of just plug and play, Hey, put the library in, set a few configs and, and off off and running. Right. Yeah, you want some quick branding points. If you work in .NET, Java, JavaScript, PHP, Python, uh, drop it in and see what we get. Yeah, totally. And then, of course, they also mentioned they have manual instrumentation. And this is obviously going to be something where you can take things a step further. So uh, an example I can give you from sort of my real life stuff is, you know, you, you're getting you're getting messages off like a, a pub sub type queue. And when you start processing that message, you want to find out how long it took you. Like you might want to find out how long it took you waiting from the time that you got that message in the queue to when you actually start doing something with it. And then you might want to see how long it took 
for you to do whatever you're going to do once you started processing that message, right? So those are situations where like a custom or a manual metric or an instrument might add you some value because now you can track very specific things you care about, right? Like latency before processing and then actual processing time and then, you know, whatever else in between that you have. So, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that probably most people are familiar with when they go and do any kind of manual developer instrumentation. So that covers a, a lot of what they have and what they wanted to talk about in, t- in terms of their own terminology. Uh, they did have another section on on some more information, deep dive. I'll take a look through that, and maybe it's something we'll come back and revisit, but I think this is a pretty good overview. And we've now, we've got the... Uh, the tracing, we've got the metrics, and then I think there's one more piece to it, and I can't remember what it is now. You know off the top of your head, either of you? Tracing metrics. I'm going to Google it. Yeah, I'm about to look. Tracing metrics. Oh, they have logs and baggage, which I think are sort of two different little things. At any rate, we'll come back to it, and, and we'll see if we can put a bow on this here in the near future. These were all in the signals section, though, like traces and metrics, logs, baggage were all like the signals. Right. So there's still like a lot related to open telemetry that, you know, outside of that to cover. Yeah, we need need to do it. We need to see what some of these things actually do. I'm, I'm actually excited to see it, especially living in a distributed application world. Like some of this stuff would make life so much easier. Um, I'm hoping. (laughs) <laughs> guessing where so well we'll have some uh some resources we like here you can find some links and also uh we're gonna have some tip of the weeks there we uh, go tip of the and tip, start. So, tip uh, of the weeks or tip of, tips the, of the tips weeks. of the week tip tip of the tip of the weeks tip of the weeks tip tip of the week <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I uh, have been uh, bringing everyone along with this journey uh, I've been on into mechanical keyboards. I, I ordered a mechanical keyboard I was excited about. Yay, came in. Yay. Oh, it's so loud, though. Oh, <laughs> but then, uh, you know, I got into it. I started researching keycaps, and then I watched like a million hours of YouTube, uh, like keyboard YouTube, which is a very large YouTube, uh, by the way, and I kind of got uh, excited about it. And I watched like video after video after video trying to find like the keycaps that sounded, uh, you know, basically I wanted as quiet as possible, but didn't lose that cool feel, you know, and uh, I wanted like the quietest. And so I was watching all these videos and like, oh, this one sounds quieter than that one. And then you Google and there'd be like just like all these different opinions and like, oh, this one says they're garbage. This one says they sound wonderful. This one says they're silent. And I finally just got tired and like, kind of ordered one that I saw on Amazon. So I didn't have to deal with like these kind of weird companies and possibly being Bobo and like, you gotta be careful too. Cause like, uh, some switches, like they're not lubed from the factory. So sometimes like you have to get this little switch opener. Have you seen these man? So you buy the switches and you take each one apart. And I, like this is 87 key keyboard. I'm not doing that 87 times. And you get a little brush and you lube up the spring and you put on the O ring and, uh, uh-uh. so I was like, I'm getting some lubed ones. I know they're going to fit like the same brand. I had kale whites, so uh, I ended up going with Kale Deep Sea Switches. And uh, I'll tell you how I like them in a sec. So let me just know, like, even Kale has, like, two or three different kinds of, like, silent switches. And you watch the videos, and it doesn't, you know, it's hard to really capture how, 
how something that's supposed to be silent sounds, you know, and really compare it, you know, like if you're looking at something visually, you can kind of hold up a banana and say like, this is how big it is compared to a banana. When it sounds, it's like, I, you know, here's me snapping and now here's me pressing the key. I'm like, I don't know. I can snap quiet. I can snap loud. I don't know. You know, <laughs> is it so, more silenter than the other thing? Is that, yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> stressful. And you know, we know about mics and you know, the frequencies you pick up and stuff. So I'm like, I don't even know if it is YouTube compression, you know, like it just brings up the silence. It's like, <laughs> Oh, I was just freaking out, man. <laughs> And I just I just ordered these kale deep sea switches and uh, they got them shipped and I put them in and uh, they're wonderful. And these were not the, the quietest switches on YouTube. But um, here's the thing that impressed me. They are so much quieter than the chiclet keyboard I had been using. <laughs> it didn't even matter. Like that's that was the bar I was kind of aiming for. I didn't realize that all these videos I was watching all the stuff I was like, you know, kind of like agonizing over like a single decibel you know and it turns out that uh, they were all way quieter than i was ever used to before and so it's way more than sufficient it's fantastic so i want to say if you've been thinking about putting in some silent switches just do it any of them you're gonna love it <laughs> it's great i'm gonna have a link here to the ones that i got and uh yeah can you hear i'm pressing it right now oh really it's amazing yeah oh that's really good hey so how long did it take you like there's only 12 keys on your keyboard how long did it take you to actually do it uh yeah i did a lot of watching tv so i don't i don't really know and like yeah i didn't you know i was doing like on my lap you know so it wasn't exactly a scientific uh you know like lab setup like the people i have in the youtube videos where like you know it's a clean room they're wearing a bio suit you know <laughs> they got the little brush there and stuff so I, I would say i probably did the whole thing within an hour um, okay that's not bad really you don't have a keyboard with a ton of keys on it right yeah 87 and i i did damage some getting them out because i like the, i bought like the world's worst puller key puller you went cheap on the puller did you yeah i did i got like, one that was double-ended you know thing and i was like oh this is great and it's just like one of them and no it was terrible it's because it's like too long <laughs> like if i had to do it again i would buy shorter pullers that like they have the, they almost look like a ring like they're real short and uh, that way you can get good leverage because this uh, this one they kept like bending. And I had to bend it back into shape, and then it wouldn't grab the thingy right. And so that was the, my biggest gripe with it. It was like this five dollar puller I got. That's yeah. you should include that as a link of do not buy, right? All right do, do not, not purchase. Buy. Don't recommend. Yeah. All right, I'll get that. I really, I really wish like this is where we failed. <laughs> because can you imagine like how great this would have been if? We had Joe on camera as he was trying to do this, like live stream or like record it and just like, you know, for the chuckles later of him, trying, like, been a good idea. especially with been this, this tool that he's trying to like pull the, I see the tool that you're using, like one side of it is to pull the key cap off and then the other one's to pull the key switch out. Yeah. So it was convenient. You know, I like the idea of it being able to flip, you know, but uh, yeah, it sucked. That's <laughs> amazing. Uh, maybe you know, maybe that the idea is sound, but uh don't get the picture of the one I got because it was like basically working with a paper clip. Uh <laughs> well maybe it wasn't meant for the entire keyboard, it was just like for one or two. Yeah. Dang it. I got a cat laying on the keyboard right now. You can't hear it because oh. it's so quiet, but it's uh messing up with me trying to paste the stupid link. Oh, that's so funny, man. Oh, all right. Well, so mine, I harken back 
to a tip that Jay-Z actually gave a while back, but it's so good that I had to share it again. So he had mentioned a plugin again, a a ways back called rainbow CSV for visual studio code. And when he showed it to me, and, and this is the only reason I bring it up again, when he showed it to me, he's like, Oh yeah, look, it colors the columns differently and all this kind of stuff, which is really sweet. Like it, it makes it to where when you're looking at the, at a CSV that you open in visual studio code, it makes it really easy to, to visually see your data. What he didn't tell me, or maybe he did, and I forgot it, is you can query this data as well in Visual Studio Code. So they have this. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they have this language. I think it's called RBQL or something. It doesn't even matter what it is. It's basically like SQL. So you can open up a CSV and then do your um, Command Shift P or Control Shift P if you're on Windows, and it. I think it's like RBQL you type in and it'll pop open a new, a new tab that'll have your data in a tabular format in like a table and you can type in a query. So like, let's say that you want to sort by a certain column. Like, so I had, I had a whole slew of data and I needed to sort by the count of something. And you could actually do that. You can say order by and then parse int that column. And when you hit return, it'll actually drop all that data in a new file ordered the way that you asked for it. Like there's just, and you could even project what you want, right? Like maybe you didn't want columns D and E. You can just say, Hey, select columns ABC and then, and then do your order by and you get everything. It's so good. So again, if you don't have this, if you ever once in your life have to open up a CSV file in something and deal with it other than like Excel or something, I highly recommend this for Visual Studio Code. It's amazing. Episode 149, eh? That's been a minute. Yeah, that was actually my tip of the week on episode oh, it was yours. for VS Code. Oh, yeah. It was yours. I could have sworn that was, okay. was Jay-Z's. I used it briefly, it. but uh, yeah, I didn't... Uh, I didn't know you. I I think I just real basic stuff with it. So oh, it's so good, so good. Yeah, I just I didn't I didn't realize that too. Uh, or at least if we talked about it before, I don't remember it now. But I I liked it just for nothing else, just to like make it easier to read the stupid stuff. Yeah, <laughs> man. Just wait until you do the RBQL thing, man. It's mind blowing. It's it's so good. But also, I mean, if you got a you rely on RBQL for your CSV. Maybe it's too much CSV. <laughs> no, man. No, man. I don't think you understand. <laughs> but also, too, though, like, okay, uh, I'm not trying to knock anything against the the plugin for that. But honestly, like, that type of use case that you're describing, like, I would have just taken it into Excel or, like, something like that, you know, a, a Google spreadsheet or whatever, you know, pick your, pick your – thing of choice i would have just imported the data there and that's typically what i do i don't know why i did it this way but i was very happy that i did okay, <laughs> so, okay. So I, I got no i have no um yeah great reason like i said like i love the i love the plugin but i liked it just for the read it makes it so much more readable because like you know csv data isn't like uh you know columnar like 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 visually 
you know, easy to like read, tabular. right? You're, but right. it'll like colorize, you know, each column. So if the third column is green, it's going to be green on every row, even if those green lines are like, you know, scattershot across the thing or, or, you know, you could even have it missing. That's why I liked it. But uh, it's cool though, that they added that. I wonder if that's an, if the RBQL is something new, like maybe, cause that was in, we talked about that in 2020. So that was three years, you know, ago. three years ago or, you know, yeah. Um, I'm telling you, like, even, even though like what you said, I typically do open things up in Excel and work with them that way. I promise you, if you were to open this thing up in Visual Studio Code, you'd be like, there's no reason. I don't need to open up Excel now. I can just live in Visual Studio Code for 99% of the things that I do. Yeah. I guess, I guess we're, okay, so fair. I, I guess I was just questioning, I was kind of curious as to like what made you decide, because I, I wouldn't have even thought about like, oh, do I have a plugin for this? I would have just, and that's, I would have immediately gone to Excel, and that's why I was curious, like how you, what your thought process was that was like, Oh, let me do something else. Uh, I can't, I cannot for any reason back up any thought process I have. <laughs> I can't get much any, like any the rest of our show. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I, okay. So keeping along with that tradition then, <laughs> uh, so have you ever, uh, stashed a, a change in Git, and then you're like, Oh, but, I've since done like, you know, pulls and whatnot, like after that, but I want to go back to that stash, but that stash isn't going to be good on where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Oh crap. What did I, what did I make that stash on? You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, name stash. I love stash now. There you can, uh, I, there's three commands. I'm going to, um, I'll give you a link to the stack overflow answer. Cause I'm not going to steal the credit from, uh, the, the person who answered it, but, um, there's, he, he provides three or she provides three different ways to see, like, depending on what data you want for that, you can see where your stash came from. So assuming that this is stash, uh, zero, so it's going to be stash at, and then in curly braces, zero, you can either do a git show the, the stash ID and then the carrot to see like the, the actual changes that were stashed or you can do a git log minus one, one line. And that stash ID carrot again is going to be at the end of all of these. Uh, And it'll show you the, uh, the, the hat, the short hash, the, and then the commit message at the time of that, or you can do a git rev parse. And again, that stash ID and it'll show you the full hash of that. And so it saved my bacon because I had stashed some code away that was still a work in progress and then went back to doing other things. And that included like checking out the latest version of the dev branch and, you know, uh, you know, had, had moved along. Right. And even in the branch that I had originally made the stash off of, I had done rebases in there too. And so I couldn't just like pop the stash back into the original branch and have it working. So this was like by finding out what the original commit ID was that I was at when I made the stash, I could do a git checkout of that commit ID, then uh, apply the stash ID that I wanted and then see my changes. And I could, I was able to create a new branch from there to um, continue on. So 
Nice. Um, again, if you ever wanted to, you know, find out like, oh my gosh, where did this stash come from? And then also too, you know, this one, uh, again, putting no thought processes, uh, you know, keeping consistent with our theme here, no thought processes behind the things we say. But if you ever like, uh, you know, some, some people are gonna be like, well, duh, Michael, but a helpful tip like for debugging your Docker uh, images, like after you've built them, sometimes you want to get into it to see like, Hey, does it actually have the latest changes of the code or, you know, the configuration or whatever it might be, or like, did something take or not? Right. And for security reasons, you might have as part of your Docker file build instructions, you might be changing the user to something more restrictive and also to, uh, you might have like a default command or entry point that's going to be in there. So like if you were to simply do a Docker run of that image, then it might, you know, automatically take you into something that you can't, uh, you know, really poke around at the operating system. Like take a Mongo, a Mongo image, for example, the Mongo image by default uh, will take you straight into a Mongo shell, right? If you do a Docker run on it. So you can use dash dash user and then as well as dash dash entry point, And you can override both of those things. So you can say dash dash user equal root dash dash entry point equals sh. And now you're in just the plain operating system and you can, you know, poke around and see whatever you needed to see. And by the way, now, cause in your typical Docker run, statement right you're going to say the image name and then some command that you might want to run but you don't have to do that other command now because you've already overridden the default entry point to be sh so it's just going to dump you straight into to a shell we really should yeah. do a docker episode yeah you know, for real another so, one <laughs> okay so i i'm glad you said that glad you said that because in in our uh you know regular work life, there have been things that have come up that have been presented to us like about the inner workings of Docker. And I have been trying to find the equivalent of you. You recall the get from the bottom up article that we did, right? I loved the approach that that author, whose name eludes me right now. um, But I I loved the, the approach that that author took for that series. And I was like, I wonder if there's something out there that is similar, but for Docker, because we have done Docker episodes before. Um, but so, so I say all that because if you're listening and you're like, Oh, I know exactly what you want, Michael. And here it is. Then, uh, you know, please do let me know. Cause I would love, to, you know, it, but we, we talked about, we did the Docker for developer series. That was episode 80. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We, we've, we've done a little bit of docker since then a little bit yeah. yeah so just like off the top of my head like thinking about things that are kind of tricky or weird or you might not know it's like talking about mounting caching the various ways of caching secrets uh, entry points is a, a great one build kit build kit d the difference between those two things the file system uh, moby the, the file system like oh, how do you context. even start with it you know like so many questions that that have come up over the years that it's like yeah, I would love to be able to have like here's here we've we did a deep dive on it, <laughs> right? So and Kafka, 
I, I'm throwing, I'm, I'm putting that out there, you know, feelers out there. Like if you know of one, uh, definitely hit me up and, uh, yeah, we would, we, I would appreciate it. Cool. So, uh, yeah, subscribe, whatever. Later. Nah, man. You can at least go check out our Slack, codingblocks.net slash Slack, yep. and maybe on the Slack. Twitterverse. Hey, no spoilers in there. Just uh, the uh, episode discussion uh, channel. Maybe oh, yeah. watch out for that one. Other than that, uh, no spoilers. It's great. Yeah, Come it on. is a fantastic place to go hang out. Wait, there's <laughs> right, spoilers so. in the episodes channel? Uh, there were uh, there was concern about it about maybe, the maybe mock concern spoilers about the episodes <laughs> uh no like uh someone had someone mentioned uh oh I that they it. had uh they had been avoiding joining uh the episode discussion channel because they were only on episode 160 <laughs> oh 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 i missed that conversation okay i get it now yes yeah, yeah yeah so thanks for by the way I, uh, thanks Lynam, for uh joining and hanging out and uh come on in come on yep. come on in uh yeah so uh subscribe to us on iTunes, spotify more using your oh you're really app. doing it oh you're doing it okay you're doing it okay, okay no no, no, no go I'm ahead really not doing it. It. no i'm really not Do doing it, no. it now. you gotta finish it what, what else? Uh, while you're at it yeah send your feedback and rants and questions to uh x <laughs> hey and you can get the show notes at codyblocks.net slash episode 221 one more than the last one 221 yeah n plus one all right we good